Welcome to The Mentor List, a source of sound advice with your host, David Lewis. To seek support and you need to allow yourself to be supported. Really have a point of difference. What is precious, what's really important, and then putting some boundaries there. The Mentor List specialises in interviews with top business minds. Gather their advice for your career. This is The Mentor List. Hello and welcome to today's show. Today we're having a conversation with the Daryl Hardage. Daryl is the authority in client appreciation and we're not talking about client satisfaction and pretty soon you will have Daryl's view of the exact difference and why there needs to be a difference. So Daryl didn't just write the book on client appreciation, he actually wrote two. And for the last 10 years he's been at the helm of Seguity, the company in which he founded and is a secret weapon in my mind to mastering client experience and having the edge. So hope you enjoy today's conversation with the Daryl Hardage. Daryl Hardage, welcome to The Mentor List. Thank you, David. Great to be on the show. Thanks for coming in today. And I know it's a beautiful, what is it, 20 degrees out there. Nice, yeah, well, special Melbourne. day for spring. <laughs> so we've called you in on the right day. It wouldn't be the same story if it was last week with all that rain. But yeah, thanks for taking the time. And just for the listeners that haven't come across you before, Daryl, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about your story? Well, that's an interesting one. Well, the last 10 years, I've been running a company which is called Seguity. Seguity is a word we created because it's very hard to get a .com these days. So we we created the word out of sage for wisdom and acuity for insight. So our company is about wise insight. So that's been running for the last 10 years and we specialize in understanding client experience and what really creates really powerful loyalty. Prior to that, I had a uh, consulting company. So it was me and a team of 13 guys. We had a small business consulting firm and we would pull businesses apart, re-engineer them. And this was a startup sort of business back then. It was one of my clients. And basically, I love the product. We used the product in our consulting firm. So we would go and survey the customers on the experiences that, that they were having with, with our clients. And then we would use that in strategy to make them stronger. And effectively, over the course of time when I was working there with that, I loved that what we could achieve by giving really clear and simple insights to our clients about how to improve their services and grow their businesses. So I kind of did the Remington where, you know, like the razor so much, I bought the company. So <laughs> I kind of did the same thing. And, uh, yeah, it's nearly 10 years ago now. So when you say surveying customers, so is this is this online surveys or face-to-face or kicking tyres or like what are we? <laughs> okay, great question. We only do phone-based research and there's a very clear reason for that. Most people have the best intentions of getting feedback from their market and they use the most commonly globally used process is the Net Promoter Score or known as NPS. So we use that as well as the foundation of the question structure. The key to it is though that most companies are doing online. They're sending out email requests for people to give feedback, which is certainly has a degree of relevance. The problem with it is that we track this globally and it's around 8 to 10% response rates of the averages. So you tend to hear from the people that really love you, the people that hate you, and all the big chunk in the middle, which is where all the opportunities, you never hear from these people. So you actually get a skewed opinion about what's good and what's not good. And this is often the the challenge with client experience research or customer experience, whatever people refer to, is that they're they're doing their best efforts, but they're getting uh, the wrong data from having the wrong theory. I certainly can attest to that. I'm currently dealing with Westpac and I've left them a few skating reviews for um, a, a couple of uh, lovely phone calls which we've had. So, and I certainly don't stick around when, you know, it goes okay. I'm just off there. I'm out of there. It's taken long enough. 
Look, the, the thing with it too is that the online approach will tell you what people think, but it can never tell you why. And if you really want to build a very powerful emotional connection to your market with very, very strong loyalty, you've got to understand why they feel the way they do about your business. So our approach, because we have our own call center and that's based here in Melbourne, we don't outsource anything because it's very high confidentiality in what we do. And we're about determining why people are loyal, why they love you, and why they aren't. And when you have the clarity around why they behave the way they do, you can then adjust your strategy around how you design your client journey mapping and your training and that sort of thing. You have real certainty in what the outcome is. So that's why we only do phone-based. And over the period, we're clocking through now we're nearly 600,000, so we've done over 550,000 phone calls. So we've got a little bit of little bit of data on hand. We've got a data warehouse that's stacked pretty heavily full of all the research, and so we mash that up and we run analytics and generic drivers and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I guess, so when you're sort of, you're brought into a business to tell the business or, you know, help the business see what their clients think about them, why aren't the businesses doing this themselves? Or is there something that comes up all the time? Like, is it quite tough to ask your customers or do they just give you a different answer if it's you asking it about you? Well, look, it's a really, really good question, David. And a lot of people, first of all, don't ask it. They assume. One of the things we have in Australia is we've had a very, very robust economy. Part of the reason why I bought this company was it was after the GFC. And I saw an opportunity that if you've got a shrinking marketplace, you can't afford to lose clients. Then you can't just go out and get them easily and you've got to keep the ones you got. And I knew that the process we had, it really defined why you have loyalty. So my first thought back then was that the market's going to shrink because the world was you know, going through a turmoil back then. And it really was an opportunity that I saw to get into a model where you can say to a company, let's stop the leakage, let's stop people leaving. And if you can build the loyalty to your client base, it's going to make you a very strong company through the downturn. Part of the challenge with that was that um, we didn't have such downturn. So, you know, that's just how it went. The big thing is that a lot of people, they tend to have what we call I know disease. They think they know. And when things are working well, they know. When things aren't, then they don't know. And the big thing with that is that it's not so much that they aren't aware. A lot of people just don't see importance to it. As long as they see the same customers back, they assume they have loyalty. And that's probably the big one is most companies assume they have loyalty. And when people leave, if they aren't good on their CRM and their sales process, they won't even know until it's too late. So the the clients we work with, we're kind of very fortunate. We we only work with top-end companies. We don't work with average businesses or poor businesses. They don't care enough anyway. That's why they're where they're at. So our market is really top-end businesses that really care about their identity. They care about the culture. They see having an external market perspective is a measurement of all of the experiences in their business. So we call it the sum of all the experiences. So whether it's the accounts department, the delivery, the sales, the marketing, help desk, whatever the touch points are in the business, really high-performing number one companies that, that we work with, they look at the whole thing from a holistic approach. Every part of the business must be focused on client experience. There's not one part, it's every part. And as, as we say to our clients, every job description has the number one goal of we're in the client, client experience business. And so I guess linking back to your own personal story, and I can tell you're passionate about this when you when you talk about it in our conversations before today, but sort of why client appreciation? It seems like 
it's quite a specific area. Was there? I mean, did you have a bad call center experience? Like, uh, is there? Uh, no. Is there a moment you can sort of tie back to this? Like, or was it just the opportunity of that? No, there was. There was a specific point in time. Partially, you know, I'm a bad consumer. If I get really crap service, I'll let you know. And if I get great service, I'll do my best effort to also let you know. Because I, you know, I appreciate it, and I, and I think you'll find most people in the in, in the country are working pretty hard for their money. And as consumers, we want value for our dollar. You know, we pay too much tax, we pay GST, we, you know, we're working hard. You go out and spend money and so many places, they have a standard of satisfaction and they have a belief that satisfaction is the goal. And this is where we found the real niche and the opportunity. Satisfaction as a metric is already flawed because it's basically saying, I'll give you what you paid for and you'll get what you expected and you'll be satisfied with that. And one of my favorites is when you'll see a billboard or the side of a truck and it'll, it'll say 100% satisfaction guarantee, you'll be completely satisfied. My response is usually, well, as opposed to what? Now, no one wants to be 80% satisfied when you put a new kitchen in your house. You want to have everything you want, and the wow factor comes from when you go beyond that. So just on that, because I've had a recent experience with one of our customers, it's it's where you're providing a service and, you know, in this scenario, we said, well, let's provide the standard service and then let's go above and beyond that for, you know, the first three months. <laughs> so that's something we did and we pumped all this effort into it and there was huge appreciation. I was like, oh, this is going great. And then fast forward to fourth, fifth, sixth, maybe eighth month, no, seventh month in and they're, then they're not feeling the love. And it's kind of like the expectation increased, but we didn't manage that properly. So it's just, you've just sort of triggered that own story. So maybe, I mean, this is your expertise. Maybe we could break that down a little bit. Yeah, there's a simple way to that. What was your plan? Just to serve the customer and do whatever we can to make them as happy as possible. Excellent. So the intention was right. You may have gone a bit too hard at the gate. We have a process where you keep creating the wow experiences and you try to manage the flow of that. Because if you go too hard out of the gate, like sounds like you did, done a brilliant job, you've actually trained your client to keep expecting it. And it gets to a point where you can run out of ideas. And it's also you can burn out your client because they're just like, wow, I'm overwhelmed here. There's just so much great service, et cetera. But then over time, you train them. And and this is part of the challenge that I see in the whole country is that businesses tend to try and train us that near enough is good enough. And Australia is known for pretty average service standards. We aren't good at it. You know, anyone who thinks Australia is, is world standard on customer experience, they haven't, they haven't traveled. American out of state. No, exactly. And so it's it's one of these things that it's we looked at it from a point of view, we need to change the game. So we've got to change the language. And I was very fortunate that I've done quite a lot of training with, with a very unique guy from the States. His name is Marshall Ferber. And he's the only person that has at the same time studied with Buckminster Fuller and also W. Edwards Deming. So a really unique combination. And when I first met him, I was doing a workshop with him in Melbourne and he talked about a little bit of his story and how he spent 10 years working with Edwards Deming. And he's, for people who don't know who W. Edwards Deming is, it's Deming with one M. He is well worth looking up because he's, he's regarded as the ninth hidden turning point in world history. And usually people say, what does that mean? I've never heard of him. And we say that's why he's called the hidden turning point. He created the quality system of Japan. So Six Sigma Lean Manufacturing, all those kind of things stem from Edwards Deming. So Marshall worked with him, but he paid him to travel around with him and learn from him. So he's like a student for a period of 10 years. So he spent time at Toyota, time at Ford and a whole range of other companies, Honda, Canon, that sort of thing. And he observed, 
his process of building the highest quality production in, in products. And there's this formula that Deming has, and, and Marshall put it up on the, on the flip chart. And when I saw that, it was one of those immediate things that you see in life sometimes in your business where you go, that's the answer. And so Marshall was explaining the quality process that Toyota's built upon, and it's absolutely unique. And, and basically, it's having a minimum of variation. So when you think about a Toyota car, there's no variation. They are just so predictable, reliable. The quality is the you know, world's greatest brand for that sort of thing. So when you achieve an absolute barest possible minimum to the variation of your product, you will actually achieve a maximum of customer appreciation, customer client, whatever you call them. So when I saw that, it really resonated with all the work we've been doing. It's like when we get 10 out of 10 from a client experience score and they have absolutely unshakable loyalty with our client. It's usually because there's absolutely no variation in their service experience. It doesn't matter who they talk to in that company, they get great service. Every delivery, every box, every help desk phone call, whatever it is they do, they basically can predict they're going to get great support and great service. There's no variation in their process. That's ultimately what sits behind a 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 is no variation. When you measure satisfaction, which is a 7 or an 8 out of 10, and this is according even to the Net Promoter Score, which is you know the globally used formula, satisfaction still allows variation. It basically says, look, most of the time you'll get what you want. And anyone who's trying to build a powerful brand or a powerful business and really high degrees of client retention, you won't ever achieve it with satisfaction. You've got to go beyond your competitors. So our, our sort of mantra is with our clients is obsess over your clients, not over your competition. If you just obsess over your clients and take the variation out of your service experiences and absolutely focus on them having true appreciation, and I'm talking about appreciation that's not from the business to the client because they've paid them, I'm talking about the client appreciating the business that they pay because of whatever you know they're doing to help them. In uh, especially B2, a B2B market is very, very powerful if you can measure this. And so by doing that, you have effectively separated yourself and obsessing over your clients and making sure you give them everything they need and going beyond, which is you know, back to your example, you don't have to worry about your comp- competitors because they won't catch you. Right. I like it. So I've got a few helpful tips here for my next client. Uh, no, really... Really appreciate that. And I guess, um, yeah, and just when you're talking about vari- no variation, I mean, I'm thinking of Big Macs and I'm thinking of Big Macs here or in the suburbs or Big Macs in another state or another country. They're another great example. Yeah, exactly. No variation. Doesn't mean that you're going to love it, but you know what you're going to get. Yes. Yeah. And I guess, and you mentioned customer satisfaction because I sort of see that as metrics in many businesses, you know, big and small. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, I mean, what's your sort of take on that? Is that a hangover from a previous era or oh look i think it's it's just terminology and some i just had yesterday actually an email sent to me from a client asking me about this other metric they heard about called the customer effort score and you know they weren't too sure about it and and i immediately sort of discount i'm like if you've got to measure the effort people are having to go through to do business with you you've already got it wrong because i shouldn't have to measure how much effort you got to take to deal with me it should be easy you know, the experience should be enjoyable, it should be efficient, it should be tailored to what I want and then make it even better. So there's no effort. And if there is an effort, then that's okay because it's a, you know, it might be a million dollar purchase. Well, there's going to be a little bit of effort in making sure we make the right call. So effort is is relative to what you're doing. But if you're actually measuring on a scale of how much effort you have to do 
to do business with me, my view is, well, you got the wrong measurement because we, we don't want to measure that. If you do, if you're ten out of ten, there's no question about the effort. They're just talking about how much they appreciate what you've done for them. And is there any? So the listeners sort of trying to get maybe some brands or thoughts in their head around, well, who's doing it right or, you know, even vice versa. Is there like a go-to company that you're just, you know, is always up on the pedestal? Yeah, there is. It's a really good question. Most of us, I think, would have heard of APT Travel. APT Travel is a wonderful client of ours. We've had them now for seven years and we have benchmarked their global client experience process. So just for those that don't know APT Travel, what, uh, just a quick synopsis. Oh, APT and Travel Marvel in Australia, they're, they're a third-generation travel company. Look, around 65,000 passengers a year they do. Their specialty now is um, river cruising in Europe, Canada, that sort of thing. It, it is one of those absolutely wonderful, wonderful Australian success stories. Still the same family owned the company. And the very first time we delivered the research results to them, it was an interesting one because the founder of the company, he's, he's, you know, he's getting on a bit now, so he sort of stepped back from the business. But he made a statement at the end of, end of our, our session, our workshop with the, with the team. And it was one of those ones where someone just you know, rattles off a one-liner and you don't realise what it does. But he actually, at the end of it, he, he made a, a statement and he said, it's really clear from our research results. We have to be 10 out of 10 or nothing. So the future is for APT, it's 10 out of 10 or nothing. A nine is not acceptable. And and that was his, his one-liner. And, of course, for a lot of the team, they could just say, oh, my God, how are we going to do that? But he drives a tough, you know, he literally drives a tough ship, but purely because of the quality commitment they have to their market. And they just go above and beyond. And they have the most extraordinary client experience scores that we've ever seen. Yeah, my parents are um, part of the baby boomer. Uh, and oh, that's, that's a APT, big market for them. They've, yeah. um, they've done the same river and things like that. So, yeah, uh, yeah they can certainly test it. They so they're, a, they're a great one. And then, you know, we have companies like Still, another client of ours. We, we benchmark the national dealer network and we're about to run our seventh year in that one as well. Still is a company that, that is known globally for brilliant quality products. But they also have a very, very unique approach, which is something that I, why I love working with them. They're still the, as in, no, no puns, still, <laughs> but they're same family business, third generation, and they're a massive global family business, but they have a very unique model. Still don't sell to companies like Bunnings and, and big corporates. They only sell through dealer networks. And all of their dealer networks, there's about 10,000 dealers around the world. They're all family businesses. So part of their commitment is that we want to get tied into the communities of where our dealers are and really have a connection to them. We can't be corporate. We need to have a local person on the ground. So while they have dealers with multiple stores and that sort of thing, they're still part of a a small sort of family business network. And so they do this because they want to have that client engagement. It's not about the product. And the amazing thing with Still is they have just phenomenal results. Like they are way up there, like with APT, you know, world's best standards. And when we look at the reasons why they get their 10 out of 10 scores, the product is about number five on the list. The first four things are all around the dealer and the relationship and the experience that they had in store. So our part of, of working with them is benchmarking the in-store experience, what creates a 10 out of 10 in-store experience, and that's what we've been able to very, very clearly define for them. And once you have that in play and then you've got KPIs around it because this goes, our data measures towards dealer of the year and also links back to bonuses and all kinds of things that work there, 
it puts a very clear focus on it. So it's not just about selling units and getting dollars in the door. It's actually about putting a very, very tight focus on your actual client experience. And when that's done, it puts more care, more focus on the person rather than just moving a box. So anywhere a company can put, it's the old story, you put your client first and you'll, you'll have success. And a lot of the times the challenge is that businesses just don't have the right metric to support their team with and to know with it, how to build their strategy. It's funny you mentioned still because I was just I'm thinking, okay, why did I? Because I've got a chainsaw, a blower, and a whippersnipper, and I could have bought any product. Okay. And they're all still. There you go. And I was trying to work out, why did I do that? <laughs> it's because it's not cheap. Well, no, but they were referred. And it's funny that, you know, it's fifth or sixth you mentioned as their one of their KPIs, but obviously by having that focus on the dealership network and the other associated activity or the client, it's flowing through the product. Um through referrals, any sorry, I uh, digress no, a bit. You know what? That that is a great example because nothing beats the power of word of mouth. And the key with that is everybody loves referrals. Everybody in business knows that referrals are the most powerful marketing you can have, the fastest conversion, lesser round price, etc. But very few companies can define a process that will predict a referral. The way we look at it, if you have a ten out of ten experience, like the person who referred you. That will give you the highest rate of referral of anything. And our data shows it's it's around about a, a four to one ratio. You'll get four times the referrals from a 10 out of 10 that you will for an eight out of 10. So, Daryl, I mean, I don't know we're sort of supposed to be talking about your story, but I love the content. <laughs> Just I keep asking you questions about it. But, I mean, I've seen a surge in companies, big and small, using NPS as a measure. And you sort of keep referring to this out of 10 score, which takes me back to NPS. So is having NPS as a key metric another way of saying referrals are our, are our key metric or is it? Look, it's NPS is a brilliant system when it's used properly. A lot of companies, they have the right intention, but they've got the wrong approach. So they've got the right theory, they've got the wrong application with it. If you look at NPS as a whole, they put nines and tens together and call them promoters. We worked out years ago that 10 is profoundly different to nine. So for example we measure repeat business. So we want to know about the future intentions of the market. It's no point knowing about how you've gone. You've got to know how you're going as well. A lot of companies with their data, they've got a whole lot of information, but they're basically basing it all on the past. And that's kind of like driving your car with a rear view mirror. You can only see where you're going. You've got to know where you're going. So there's a way to craft the interview questions that predict the future. And one of them we look at is what we call a repeat business ratio separate to the referral. And out of, God, I know it's over 400,000 surveys now in the data warehouse we have, but when we mash it up, all those that score 10 out of 10, and we ask this pretty much to every single interview we do, it's, it's a critical part of our metric. And it's currently tracking 91% of 10 out of 10s give a 10 that they will return. And the other 9%, you know, they're, they're, they're usually understandable. It's a bit hard to sell a pram to another parent or a parent with a five-year-old. Yeah. Uh, we had a a perfect score. We do, we, do, we do Honda power equipment and we had a perfect score from a, an old guy that bought a lawnmower and when we asked him about will he buy another one, he said, no, and we asked why. He said, well, the mower's going to outlive me. <laughs> so, so there is a part of your market where you're not going to get them back and you're, and you're okay with that. But the data is interesting. So you deliver a 10 out of 10 experience. You, you can work on a metric of 91% repeat. You give a 9 out of 10 experience, it goes to 65 you give an 8 out of 10 and it goes down to 48. And once you're a 7 out of 10, it's 25. Forget about it. So even 
And this is why we split nines and tens from their promoter because the, the standard process is bunches them up and we don't do that because a nine is one little stuff up from being satisfied. But a 10, you've bought your way to or earned your way rather to having a bit of understanding from your market. So if something goes wrong, people sort of, and we all do this as consumers, if you have a, a business that you support and you love that business and, and they have an, an occasional stuff up, you won't judge them too harshly because your past history tells you that most of the time they do a brilliant job and we're all human. But if you're a nine and you've had a few little chinks in the armour, and then you have a bit of a stuff up again, then you drop down to satisfaction and now I'm starting to look more at price and I may look at other people. So tens are profound in repeat business and referral and people need to measure that. That's why when we say satisfaction's dead, it is, it's, it's the measurement of last century. It doesn't work anymore. And when you look at how fast things are moving and the whole, you know, disruption in, in, in all types of economies, the one thing that we firmly believe is that people still want to deal with people. So even though you've got chatbots and all kinds of online things that take people out of the equation, if it's a significant purchase, we want to deal with people. And anywhere you can keep the human element, and even the other day I heard of this this other term called a, a HX, which stands for the human experience. Carol. I'm thinking, <laughs> That's we do are. you have to measure that? <laughs> you should just in. have human experience as part of it. You know, it's it's critical. And that's where the changes are happening so fast that you can't change what your competitors are doing. You can only control what you do. And the best thing you can do is obsess over your clients, not over your competitors. Yeah, because we're we're talking about benchmarking um, another time we caught up. It'd be great if you could sort of share, I guess, some of your insights around around benchmarking and, you know, its effectiveness. Well, one of the things we always focus on, and sometimes it takes a little bit of time to get through the culture of the business, but it's... It's benchmarking client experience as a part of all the reporting mechanisms. So often companies, they will just measure stock movement, stock on hand, sales data, and you know financials. You'd be amazed at how many companies do not have client experience as a key metric in their business. But once they have it there, they actually make that the number one number. So we have clients that while revenue is, is obviously important, but they know as long as the client experience score stays high, or keeps growing, revenue grows with it. So our data on this, it's a guide because not everyone's going to share their balance sheet with you. But as a guide, for every 1% you increase your net promoter school, you should be able to expect 1.5% to 2% revenue. So for some companies that are sitting at scores around you know 30 and 40 and that sort of thing, there is phenomenal growth sitting in those businesses. It's massively under-leveraged. So the benchmarking of client experience, and especially in the type of businesses that have multiple stores, whether it's franchises, dealerships, company stores, you've got to be able to benchmark them for sure because they're selling the same product, same pricing, same uniform, same marketing process, but you can have one store smashing another store. And usually when you look at it, take out location, for example, all things being fairly equal, it'll come down to client experience, which is then directly linked to the management and, and the culture of that branch. So having this as a, as a benchmarking KPI changes the game. We've got quite a few clients now that once they've put this metric into the business and they actually make it the center of it, so they make all their other strategies point towards client experience as the one number. And if you can do that, takes a bit of courage, but people that are prepared to really make the commitment to 10 out of 10 and put 10 out of 10 dead smack in the middle of what they're doing, it is extraordinary what happens. 
So I just wanted to bring up, you know, I can tell your eyes light up when we start talking about um, <laughs> these types of topics and this sort of content. It's amazing. And maybe we can talk about the book. So, you, or sorry, books, I should say. And was this something that you had to do? You had to get out of your head or was it because you had all the, either goes one or two ways. It was either a struggle to get it down or which, well, probably was both. But yeah, do you want to talk about that experience and what the books are about just for listeners? Yeah, look, sure. The first book is called The Client Revolution, Smashing the Loyalty Myth and Having the Edge. So getting back to that satisfaction point, I started on that one about five years ago. And the process behind that was so many companies thought satisfaction was the game and they didn't understand the power of 10 out of 10 experience. So that book is around the structure. So we, we pulled, we're very, very lucky in our company that we only deal with top-end businesses. People who, who don't give a crap don't engage our services. They're not going to spend money on finding out their average if they don't care. We, we tend to find the, the clients we work with are people that have got a good business and they want to make it better, especially family businesses where the name above the door is personal. It's about their integrity and they want to know how well they're going. They don't, don't want to leave anything to chance. So we're kind of very fortunate we, we have wonderful clients. But the key to it is that looking at these businesses, and we've taken a few of them now on a journey by getting their MPS scores virtually doubled in some cases where we've doubled their scores and businesses have grown substantially. This uh, book I wrote on the structure. So it's all around the structure of what sits under 10 out of 10. The second book is called The Ten Commandments of Client Appreciation. And what that was from is I run a lot of workshops. I do keynote speaking around the country and I do half day, one day, two day, one week, doesn't matter what you want. We do a whole lot of things around this. And from running a lot of workshops, I had people say to me, this should be in a book and how do I explain this to my team and so on. So ended up, I wrote that one as well. So that one is, that came out a year ago actually. And that has a really good success, that book, because it helps managers, business owners, anyone who's leading a team to shift their mindset in a really simple way to know what to focus on to get individuals. And so we have a few now that it's part of their onboarding process when they onboard a new employee right up front. You know, usually part of the recruitment process is understanding that they've got the skills and the experience, but we want to know what's their attitude around service. So the Ten Commandments are kind of like 10 critical steps you need to optimize your team culture around client experience. Great. And, and is there any habits or probably habits in the theme of the content we're talking about, whether it's client appreciation or, or habits that you've personally had that have helped you in your own journey that you can share? One thing that's always there when we see great results and it's usually the one thing that's missing when, they, when there aren't great ex- results. And that's the clarity of intention. Everything we do has an intention behind it. So if you have an intention of near enough's good enough or we're not paid enough to do that or I don't have time to do that, then you will settle for satisfaction. But if you are truly committed to client appreciation, then you've got to shift your intention around going above and beyond. And what we... What we often find, and it's what I discuss in my workshops, is you've got to be willing to be willing even when you're unwilling. Whatever it takes is an action, not a theory. So the intention is critical. And we find now our clients put this right up front in their recruitment process. And I've got people, I've, I've des- helped design the systems for them, and they actually ask, you know, when we talk about our clients here, so if you were coming to work for me, David, I'd say, so tell me your intention around service. What's your intention behind that? And you get all kinds of fluff from some people because they've never been trained or they don't care. 
And if their standards in their own life and their own beliefs are that near enough's good enough, then that's the intention you're gonna you're gonna hire every day. You need to find people that have a clear intention to be the best they can be and it's never finished. You know, our motto is in, in our workshops on, on my papers, it says when it comes to being number one, there is no finish line. It's never done. You might win today, but you've got to keep moving forward or you'll you'll get past it in the future. So the intention that companies have behind serving their clients and being of service really opens up a lot of interesting thought around that. And you'll be amazed at some of the crap that people put out there of what they think matters around loyalty. And true loyalty has got nothing to do with price. It's all got to do with how they feel and are you truly appreciated or not? Because if you're not, you don't, you won't have strong loyalty. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I'm just busy uh, scribbling down some notes from my own <laughs> business right. plans. <laughs> part for the show notes. Take what you can today, mate. It's free. <laughs> I love it. So I guess, you know, we've had so much advice coming through just the conversation, but is there one piece of advice you received or that you came across in, I guess, growing your knowledge in client appreciation or, or even in just your own career through others? Is there any advice you could share with the listeners? Look, my thing probably way back you can say last century now, David, because you can at this point. <laughs> My business I had way back was in outsourced payroll. And it was back in the days when Lendlease used to have outsourced payroll. And so our market was small to medium business where we were a payroll outsourcing bureau. And so we had a territory and we had our own team and, and we were contracted to sell, implement and account manage those services. And I found this pattern that was really quite unique. And that was that the, the businesses that were doing really well I could easily get meetings with the owners of those businesses. And when I go and talk to them, I just found a fascination around, you know, gee, how come I can get easily get an appointment with you? And they'd have time to show me around the business and they were always growing and, you know, really, really strong because we would manage their payroll. And then I'd find other companies that you can never get them on the phone. You could never get hold of the, the owner of the business if you needed to talk about, you know, changes to work, workplace laws or whatever it was. They were always difficult to get hold of and they were always struggling. So it was kind of, I had this gift early on. It's like, well, what is it about the companies that always seem to have time? They're as busy as crazy. They're growing like crazy. But what is it about the management and the attitude of these businesses that's different to the others? And that's sort of, you know, I had that one for about six years and then we sold that. And then that's when I bought into the consulting firm where we used to re-engineer the small to medium business market. And then once again, it was like, the people that are doing really well would be happy to pay the bill to keep learning to do better and the people that were struggling never had the time or the money to learn how to get better. So it's really a mindset. And for me, it was good fortune. I guess you fall into where you fall into in life. But but the thing that I have a real gift of is being able to work with extraordinary people, business owners, executive teams. There's never any luck in a great result. It's just bloody hard work. 10 out of 10 is rigorous and it's really tough and it takes focus with a clear intention every minute of the day. And people slip, we're all human, but it's this underlying principle that clients come first. And in order to make clients come first, we have to make the team first because one of the things we look at is the internal internal client versus the external client. So the internal client is all the team in different departments, whether it's around the state or whatever it may be. How do the team treat each other first? And when you define your team culture, which is what the Ten Commandments are about, that's being 10 out of 10 for each other as a team. 
when you do that, you automatically 10 out of 10 for your clients. Fantastic. I just love, <laughs> sorry, I just love listening. So just, I mean, we're kind of coming to a close. I, I just had one more question and I know it's a pearler. Well, not the question, but the answer. It's, it's a quote. If there's a quote you can share with the listeners. Yeah, look, it's one that, that uh, I learned off a great mate of mine who's got a very large cleaning company in the US. My first book's written around a lot of his things. I went over and studied and worked with his team and so on. And, and Bill is an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial nutbag. I mean, the guy has, I don't know how many thousand employees now in his companies and his manufacturing plants and so on. And he shared this statement with me and it also, with, I learned both from Marshall and Bill. And this is what our clients work on now, and, and I'm, I'm quite happy to say that at times I get a bit of a laugh out of it because it causes huge disturbance. But it's the one thing that I believe separates a company from everything else. And the saying that we work with our clients on and we get them to commit to it is that different isn't always better, but better is always different. Most companies put huge amounts of resources into being different. You might be different for weeks, months, but you won't be different forever if you've got some kind of gimmick or whatever, your competitors will copy you and then they'll do something different that's better than you. But if you just flat out focus on being better than everyone else, obsess over your clients, not over your competitors, 10 out of 10 or nothing, client appreciation, not satisfaction. And if you can demonstrate that you are absolutely better than your competitors, then you'll automatically be different. And you achieve that space and you'll get the highest margin possible because you because our clients, you know, people look at our website, click on who we deal with, none of them are cheap. They're not the cheapest. You can go get cheaper services than any one of our clients, but you won't be happy as you will be working with our clients because they have an absolute commitment to service excellence. And, you know, there's more to, and it comes back to how do you define value in a business. If service experience is low, it's around price. If service experience is high, then value is measured from an experience point of view. So different isn't always better, but better is always different. The key is, how do you define it? We'll leave it, we'll leave it with that question. We'll leave it open-ended. I like it. <laughs> like I said, thank you so much for coming in. Like client appreciation, I mean, I know sort of through some of my consulting work at the moment, it's just putting the client customer first, which which is clearly a no-brainer, but it's funny how we can kind of lose our way in getting back to basics and that client appreciation isn't even on some people's metric, but then it comes on and it's the top. So it's... Yeah, it's, I don't know how we forget about it, but it's, it's mind-blowing. So just for the listeners that are resonating with what you're saying, they want to find more about you or find out when your next speaking gig is or buy one of your books, how do they go about finding you? Books are on Amazon and you can get them in bookshops as well, but most people don't go to bookshops these days. They just buy things online, which is fine. So The Client Revolution is one book, the first book, and The Ten Commandments of Client Appreciation is the second book. Our website is seguity.com and that's S-A-G-U-I-T-Y.com. And that's probably the best way. Anyone wants to contact me, just go there. You'll see events we have up. I don't do so many these days. It's more speaking engagements I do. We still run, we run about three or four workshops a year that we just open up to people to come along. So check the website there or otherwise just get in touch. We'd love to discuss it. Yeah, great. Yeah, for those that are listening in still, we're, we're in the 44th minute <laughs> if you haven't turned off to, to jump into the gym. So Daryl will actually be appearing a little bit more often on the mentor list here as we launch into our six-part mini-series where we're going to go deep into client appreciation and um, listen into some tycoons and um, barons of, of this area. So yeah, thanks again, Daryl. And yeah, welcome to the listeners and um, for everyone Tune in again next week for another great show. Thanks, Daryl. Thank you. The Mentor List specialises in interviews with top business minds. Gather their advice for your career. This is The Mentor List.